Kyle, thanks so much for joining. Speaking of making healthcare work for you, different perspectives and empowering solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta. And today we welcome Marianne Faison, who is the president and CEO of the Texas Business Group on Health and the executive director of the Dallas-Fort Worth Business Group on Health. Thanks so much for being here, Marianne. Happy to be here. So today we are talking because you're working on a really exciting initiative through your Dallas-Fort Worth um, Business Group on Health about reducing depression in that area overall, and then hopefully to expand, you know, this will be a big success and expand other places. So can you tell us just briefly, what are you trying to accomplish with this initiative? Oh, okay. It's called the Lone Star Depression Challenge, and it's in partnership with the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute. They're, they've received a large grant to um, support it, but um, and asked us to work with them to um, implement the project in the workforce of Dallas-Fort Worth. So um, the, pro the goal of our project is to reduce the stigma and the incidence of depression in the workplace. It's been exacerbated by COVID, which we can talk about a little bit in a minute, but um, the goal is to reduce the stigma, re reduce the incidence, um, improve the um, access to treatment, and also to so support the employees who are suffering with, from depression and related conditions. Um, Hopefully, when they're cured, which we hope, and depression is treatable. So once it's diagnosed, um, uh, they can't get back to work to productive workforce. How big is this issue? Well, you said that COVID obviously exacerbated so many issues yeah. with mental health and behavioral health. So what does it look like before and after, before, during COVID? I guess I can't say after yet. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we're almost through. We hope we are. Um, it, it, in previous pre-COVID times, the studies showed that there were one in 10 adults were suffering from anxiety and depression. During the height of COVID, another study, there's been a lot of studies done on the impact of COVID on all kinds of conditions, or especially on mental health and behavioral conditions. Um, four in 10, so that's a fourfold increase um, during the height of COVID, that would be from about March 2020 all the way through January of 2021 and beyond. So that's what the studies were done. So um, it, it's a definite problem. And we're talking about the adults, the working age adults. And it's especially prevalent in women over um, men and women who have transitioned to working at home and have children, plus have children home from school. So um, I think there was a, one study showed that there was like a 46% of these women were suffering from anxiety and depression compared to the men who may have been home and may have had children home from school at 36%. That's a pretty dramatic difference between those two sets of um, uh, working, uh, working people and family people. So um, it's a big problem. It impacts all everything that's going on at work. It impacts their productivity and their attitudes, their ability to finish jobs on time, to stay focused and um, everything else. And so if it in fact has increased so dramatically uh, from what it was before, it's gotten the attention of employers, the, the senior managers, the CEOs, and on down through all of the um, executive level to the benefits department, which often is responsible for helping, ensuring the health and well-being of their, the employee workforce. So my constituents in the Dallas Fort Worth Business Group on Health are the benefits executives who are the front line dealing with setting up the strategies. Marianne, it's, it's so uh, 
interesting to hear you talk about how this is, uh, you know, manifested throughout COVID. I guess, you, you know, when we were speaking earlier, you you uh, explained very nicely uh, why this is happening because of COVID. Is it people's fears you were mentioning about going back to work and about mm-hmm. getting exposed? Uh, but could you uh, lay that out a little bit more for our audience? Sure. The workplace has been totally disrupted. Many businesses were closed completely. Restaurants, um, just staff and hotels, everything, anything recreational. Um, the disruptions to work and family have been monumental during COVID. Um, it's resulting in what I've said, a fourfold increase for the women, especially in um, of anxiety and depression. They're, they're, they not only had to readjust how to do their work at home, but they also, and to understand the technology and acquire the technology to do so, they were afraid of COVID. That was, everyone was had fear of COVID to have a great impact on anxiety. They also feared job loss. Was their company going to have to fold? Were they going to have to reduce departments? What would they have to do? Um, and what if I'm not at work and I'm working from home? How do they know I'm getting everything done? So there's a huge stress in that regard. Um, they also had the social isolation has been just has been terrible for everybody. Uh, um, so now going now they're actually now that COVID's abating, they're having. Um, return to work anxiety on top of all the other um, disruptions that they've had before. After a year or almost two years of working from home remotely there or wherever they are, um, now they're asked to go back to work. Employers are having a terrible time trying to get them back into into the office and making a lot of concessions to flexible work schedules. And some of the ways that you're working to increase this just acceptance, I guess, to treat the issue is through employee research resource groups, through EAP plans, and hopefully through that and participation, people will become more open to receiving this treatment and get the care that they need. And you said that telehealth is also an important component. So how are those all working together? The resource groups, the EAP and the telehealth, how is that coming together to reach the people to get the care they need? Well, part of our project that we're doing in the Lone Star Depression Challenge is a three-year initiative that we've just launched last September in partnership with the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute, as I mentioned. Um, Part of that challenge is to kind of break it into pieces. And um, the the whole issue of mental health, addiction, depression, particularly depression. We chose depression because it's so prevalent, so much more so than other conditions. And it also is measurable and treatable. You can um, diagnose depression with standardized tests that are available in the physician groups, as well as in um, some of the health risk assessments. And it's called the um, uh, patient health questionnaire with nine segments in the question, PHQ-9, that um, patients, people are asked to respond to that indicate um, a real diagnosis of depression. So um, it is, and it is treatable uh, through multiple ways, through cognitive behavioral therapy, through medications, through just, uh, you mentioned employee resource groups. Um, it, the first, just tackle the stigma. You say it's okay to say from top down, talk about con- the mental health conditions. It's a top priority for employers right now. Um, the more you talk about it, the more people feel like, oh, it is okay to say that I 
I have a problem. Share the symptoms with them. What are symptoms? So that coworkers recognize in a person who may be irritable or hard to work with or having all these other productivity problems, stuff they haven't worked on on time, um, can't sleep at night, tired, taking naps during the day at the desk. Um, it helps the coworkers say, huh, maybe you're suffering from depression. The second thing is to that most large employers offer are employee assistance programs. That's a service that they hire out um, that often has a navigator as part of it, help you find the right care if you're suffering, offers counseling sessions through the service. Um, most of the benefits structures say you can have two or three visits for free with the EAP, which first of all, is the most underutilized resource in, in a company, um, often because people don't know about it or they're afraid to go and that someone else might found out, find out about it. So it's up to the EAP to do better communications to increase, and they ought to be actually have um, incentives to increase their presence in the company, as well as perhaps even being rewarded for having upping the numbers of people who are actually seeing them. Um, so that the benefits design has to be changed as well by the benefits manager, meaning instead of offering two or three or limited number of visits to the EAP, increase that number without having to pay a copay or having to be penalized for going to see it. And also assure that the employee that is completely confidential and the employer does not get that information. It's, it's private information. So the employer, only information the employer gets is we've had this number of people taking advantage of the service. You know, you had mentioned how difficult it is to get doctors to do this screening, simple screening, you, they get paid for it, but yet they're still not doing it. And I'm also mm -hmm. wondering if it's feasible in the workplace for the uh, employees themselves to do the screening. Is there a self-screening sort of a, a process that they could avail of, as well as anything that uh, colleagues, coworkers, friends and family can be doing uh, along those lines? Yes. As I mentioned, the PHQ-9, the, the standardized measurement tool for depression, is available through health risk assessments. You can do your own health risk assessment online. Anybody sitting in their home that's not even employed or doesn't have access to treatment very easily can do their own PHQ-9 assessment and assessment. Um, you health, many companies offer as part of their wellness benefit, a health risk assessment. Um, so that's another place that the PHQ-9 is, is utilized. And then whoever is managing through the benefits department that health risk assessment, it's usually an outside service, would be able to say this number, you know, percentage of your people who took the assessment said that they had, um, they were depressed or had indications of symptoms of depression. The employer doesn't get to see that because they don't know who it is that is depressed. It's not a, it's private information. So the, um, then the also through the EAP can run that test on anyone who comes to see them to see how depressed they are. And then the next thing is, how do you get them to treatment? The benefits department has to make it extremely easy and um, communicate how easy it is. If you make it a company-wide interest in mental health, 
how easy it is to get to see your primary care physician. Next problem or step in the challenge is how do you how can you ensure that that primary care physician is doing the PHQ-9 test or taking the information that the patient might bring themselves? Our job through the employer benefits managers is if you're contracting with the health plan to um, ensure as part of the contract that the primary care physicians in the network are doing that test. You're covering so many different interventions that you're trying to, to undertake on behalf of the, the business group for health. I guess my one question is, is there one such intervention particularly that holds promise for you that you feel, even if we can't implement anything else, if we could do this one thing, this is most likely to help uh, the employees and their employers? I think the most promising thing is to is the fact that it's a high priority for employers and it's coming through down to the lowest mailroom worker that is okay to say and that there is it is these are the symptoms it's treatable and getting treatment is really really important so uh, that i think is probably the most important message however we can get the message out do you see differences in willingness or acceptance of the different groups? Do millennials have a different response than boomers? And if they do, whichever group is more accepting, do you maybe have a way to rely on them to then go out and advocate for the successes that these interventions that you're offering can, can provide to them? That's a great question. And in fact, depression is affecting the younger generation, Gen Zs and millennials more so than the older generation. Maybe it's because the older generation has been there, done that, been through all that. I don't know what the difference is, but it is absolutely affecting the younger um, ages. 15 to 44 is the primary age for the highest incidence of depression. So um, I would say, and also they're the, they're the generations that are so tech savvy. Telehealth, you mentioned that back up there a little earlier, is one of the best ways of treating or offering treatment, access to treatment. Um, it, it, it was so underutilized in the past, just like the EAPs were, but now it's just very, very heavily utilized, and it, that's a good thing um, because it's so much easier with the lack of um, mental health providers. This is a perfect solution to it, and the privacy issue as well. So, um, in fact, um, they're the, that's the generation workforce, which is the active workforce right now anyway, um, that benefits the most from that, the communications and the um, information we're given. And we'll do the PHQ-9 in a heartbeat. They do all these other tests, they monitor, they're all wearing the watches. We'll probably, I don't know if there's a PHQ-9 available in an Apple Watch, but maybe it is by now. It should be if it's not. Maybe someone from Apple is listening in, put it in there too. Thank you so much for being here and talking about this grant that you have. It sounds like you're doing amazing work. Thank you so much, Marianne. Thank you, Dr. Thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.